You know, it's nice when you get older, they pull the pulpit for you. About the Father's business. About the Father's business. Or do business. That's what he said. You know, we live in a world of business. In fact, you could probably say there are two businesses in the world, each with different CEOs. You've got the business of the world. You've got the, the one that embraces the world and all that it is. You know, the mantra of the one who runs the world business is this. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's what that business is all about. Uh, Priscilla Schreier puts it this way. Satan's ploy is to make you believe that your core value as a person is tied to how much work you do, how much activity you can accomplish, and how much stuff you can accumulate. It's so easy to fall in that trap because we are surround, surrounded by it in the world that we live in. In the culture such as we have in America, it's he who has the most toys at the end wins. But there's also another business, and that business is the business of the kingdom. And the mantra of that CEO is... I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. We have two options. We have steal, kill, and destroy our life that is abundant. You know, I, I want to tell you, first off, and thank everyone of you for being here, but I want you to know the message today is not for the kids. It's for the moms and dads and grandmothers and grandfathers. In fact, it's for all of us who might have the opportunity to pour into the lives of others. You might say this morning that I'm speaking for your kids into your heart. Our first teaching point says this, as parents and grandparents, and again, as any person who has the opportunity to pour into the life of our students and to our young people, as parents and grandparents, we want more for our children than we had. And isn't that true? I know I came from a household where we certainly were, were not even in the upper end of the middle class. We were probably lower middle class at best. And, you know, I know my mom and dad in their heart wanted me to grow up and have more than they had. Than they had. And you know what? I am sure most of the parents here would say exactly that. I want my kids to have more. But, you know, sometimes more is just more. Sometimes more really isn't profitable at all. And, and, and then we have this saying also, you know, we don't want not only have more, we want them to have at least what their peers have. When, when one family buys a nice car, we feel compelled to make sure our child has a nice car. When, 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 our chi when another child is doing different activities, they have ballerina and tumbling and all that, we somehow feel compelled that our child has those opportunities because we don't want to be considered bad parents. So we want our children to have more than we had. And we want the best for them, the best for them. And that is why often we motivate our children rather than turning to God and say, God, what do you want for my child? We often look at the careers, and boy, did we hear it clearly in the skit today. How much money can they make as a lawyer? How much money could they make as a doctor? How much money could they make in the field of theater. We want them to have more, but sometimes more is just more. And sometimes what is best for them, well, it's not best for them. In fact, we are learning, and you will learn as you progress through your lives, that if we follow Jesus Christ, that God knows what's best. 
God knows what's best. We miss it. We miss it. And then, while both of these are admirable, it's so admirable to want your child have more than you had, and so admirable to, to you know, what is best for them. They become powerful. Not just admirable, they become powerful when the more and the best are God-driven. Now, you know I'm speaking to believers today. But if you are a Christ follower, the more and the best you want for your children is the more and best that God has for them. You know, we trust God with our soul, but we find out it's often difficult for us to trust God with other things, like our children. Like our children. You heard the scripture, so we won't read it again. But it's really great because it deals with business, to do business, to do my father's business. You know, every year, Mary and Joseph made the trip from, from their hometown to Jerusalem, and they would do it every year at the Passover. It was a big deal. Well, one year they went, and Jesus was 12 years old. And, and it wasn't bad parenting, just like you don't want to be a bad parent. They weren't bad parents. Um, they just assumed Jesus was traveling with the group, and they got to make camp that night, and they couldn't find Jesus. They had left him behind. So they traveled back to Jerusalem, and they searched for three days before they finally find him. And they find him in the temple, and he's teaching the scribes, the experts of the law. And the Bible says they were simply amazed. And then Mary goes, Jesus, why did you do this to us? Don't you know that we've been diligently searching for you? And Jesus asked a question, and trust me on this one, nowhere would imply disrespect. But he said to his mom, Mom, why were you looking for me? Don't you know I had to be about my father's business? And it's really, it's really interesting because you'd almost hear in those words, Hey, Mom, don't you remember Christmas? Don't you remember the night the angel sang? Don't you remember when the angel appeared to you and I was immaculately conceived? And and mom, don't you remember that I'm the son of God? And don't you remember that I'm going to be the Messiah? Hey, dad, don't you remember this when when you wanted to divorce mom? You know, because of this. And the angel said, oh, no, no, no. Listen, what's happened to her is of God. Mom, dad, don't you remember that? Why did you look for me? Don't you know? I have to be about my father's business. Well, fast forward, oh, 20 years. And all of a sudden, this 12-year-old boy is now a 32-year-old man who's been in public ministry for about two years, two and a half years. In fact, probably three years, because when this is spoken, he's about a week and a half from the cross. He's telling a story. He tells one of those parables, those stories that he would tell. And in the story, he says there was a man who was going away to be made king, just like he was about to do. And so he turns to ten of his servants, and to each servant, he gives a bag of silver. And so as he hands the bags of silver to each one, here's what he said. He said, I want you to do business until I come. He gave the servants his resources and said, I want you to do business till I come. And what we've got to understand, when you trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, when when he became the love of your life, if you will, then you've got to understand, when you got Jesus, you got the family business. 
When you got Jesus, you were choosing not only him, but his business. You were making him the CEO of your life. That you were choosing to turn away from the business of the world and do the business of the kingdom. So our teaching point says this. Do business till I come. Parents, listen. That is the biblical mandate of every believer. When we choose to follow Christ, the family business becomes our business. Do business till I come. And it's not just business. It is his business. It, oh, we're busy. Oh, we all understand the concept of teaching our children to be busy. We're busier than we've ever been. But what we sometimes miss is what business are we in? It's his business. You know, we often talk about faith. You know, you know, faith is a great thing. In fact, we're going to talk about faith in just a moment. But you understand it's important you know where that faith is directed. When, you know, when Jesus says, you know, when Paul wrote and said, you know, you walk by faith and not by sight. And when he said, you know, without faith, it's impossible to please God. When he said those things, you can have faith in a trash can. But that kind of faith wouldn't save you and help you live. He's talking about the faith that Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, gives us. That gives us. So... How do we, how do we help our children? If you truly, as a mom and dad would say today, as a Jesus follower, mom and dad, you want to say, okay, how can I help, how can I best help my child do this business? How can I? Well, there's a scripture, probably one of the most quoted parental scriptures in the Bible, and it's tucked away in Proverbs 22, 6. Proverbs 22, 6. And here's what it says. Direct your children, point your children, guide your children onto, look, the right path. The right path. And when they're older, they will not leave it. Now, keep in mind, this is not a promise. There's been a whole ton of really, really Jesus-loving, devil-stomping parents who did the best they could, and their kid walked away from God. It's not a, it's not a promise. It's a principle that when we choose to follow this then we have a stronger probability that our children will stay on the path what is this right path you know proverbs 3 5 and 6 says trust in the lord with all your heart don't lean into your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight he will make your path direct so one of the great things you can do as a parent is teach your child to trust god Teach your child that there's not to trust in money or popularity and power and all those things. Rather, teach them to trust God, okay? Don't lean into what you think is right. Lean into what God thinks is right, and he will direct your paths. Also, we all love Jeremiah 29, 11, and some preachers say, oh, you can't use that scripture because it applies to the nation of Israel back when they're in captivity. No, but the principle's true. You know, God told the nation of Israel, he says, listen, I, I've, got, I've got plans for you. I, I have plans not to prosper you, not to harm you. I, I've, got, I've got plans to give you hope and a future. And, and what would happen if we were to take the time and teach our children that truth, believing that truth ourselves? What would happen if we told them, God has a plan for you, a plan to 
prosper you. Not necessarily in funds and dollars. That could be part of it. Plans to give you hope and a future. Did you see? Did you see the young lady fell in love with Jesus and they were dancing together? And then long comes the forces of the world. A young man courts her away from Jesus. A drug addict and pusher comes along. A person with alcohol, a person smoking something. All came along and then Satan tried to get her to take her life. Did you see all of that? And Jesus came. And Jesus came. The Calvary arrived. But Jesus came and rescued her. Tell... Teach your children. Do, do your best to point them onto the right path. There's plenty of paths. Put them on the right path. And when they're older, they won't. Now here's a, here's a teaching point that I want you to grab hold of. You know, it is true, you know, this point, this scripture is true going forward, but it's also unfortunately true in reverse. You say, Dwayne, what does that mean? Well, if you point the, the child in the right path, okay, then there's, there's, there's those things, there's that abundant life that we talked about. There's, there's a hope and there's a future for them. And in a crazy world that we live, people are saying all the time, I'm so fearful for the world my kids are going to grow up in. Then for goodness sake, point them to Jesus. That's the only hope they have in the future. Point them to Jesus. If you don't. If you point them down the wrong path, well... It could be very difficult. It could be a life filled with regrets. Listen, we are losing our youth. I'm not talking about youth or stop going to church. Our kids, many of our students today, are choosing not to believe in God because the culture we live in is pounding them with that lie. And to counteract that, we have got to pound them with the truth that there is a God and there is a Savior and His name is Jesus and He can change their lives. He can change their lives. Direct them onto the wrong path and it could lead to a lifetime of regret. I have a friend. I have a friend who was a very successful lawyer. In the county in which he lived, he served as state's attorney. Success and power. Money and power. And then one day we were talking. He said, Dwayne, you want to know one of my greatest regrets? I said, what's that? He said, when I was a teenager, I really felt like God was calling me into the ministry. I think it was a revival or something. But, but God clearly spoke to his heart. So he, he went home and spoke to his father. And his father... Uh, was also very wealthy. His father was a very strong-willed individual, my way or the highway. And he goes home to his dad and says, Dad, I really feel like God is calling me into the ministry. And his father said this. His father said, You will not go into the ministry. You will do something that makes money. Just like the skit. He allowed his father to influence him. And he said, I didn't say. He said, Dwayne's one of my biggest regrets. I felt like I missed the call on my life. Put them on the right path, 
and it leads to the abundant life. Put them on the wrong life. It could be a lifetime filled with regret. The second way you can help, you can put them on the right path, but you can also have a faith that's worth catching. A faith that is worth catching. Brent read the verse, 2 Timothy 1.7, one of my favorites. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. But what's so cool is what precedes that. And by the way, you know, Tim, Timothy was a very timid man. He was in a difficult position because he was a young pastor. And well, you can imagine how difficult that may have been. But before Paul wrote, you know, God has not given us a spirit of, fa- of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind, here's what he wrote. He said, Timothy, young Timothy, I recall your sincere faith. This is such a good word. That word sincere um, in the Greek is the word sincera. You know what it means? Without wax. You say, what? Without wax. Yeah, what would happen is is the, the pot makers of those days would, would fire a pot and it would come out sometimes and have cracks or holes in it. So rather than throw it away, they would take a wax and they would fill the cracks and fill the holes. And of course, you wouldn't know that until you got it home and put it on the fire and pew, the cracks appeared. So what would happen is reputable potters would, would take their pots and fire them and if, the bad were, if they were bad, they were thrown away. But if they were good, they would, before the uh, clay went in, before they were fired, they would put this symbol on it. And it said, sincera. It means without wax. And so the point was and is that, that they were telling you that they had a pot you could trust. Mom and Daddy, we have got to live a faith that our children see a faith they can trust. Your children need to see Jesus in you. They need to see it in your pastor. They need to see it in the youth pastor. But they need to see it first and foremost in you. And by the way, grandmas and grandpas too. Grandmas and grandpas too. So he said, I recall your sincere faith that first lived, first generation, that lived first in your grandmother, Lois. So, so grandmother Lois was a woman of faith. And then came the second generation, and the second generation is in your mother Eunice. So grandma passed it on to mother, and mother passed it on to the son. He says, and now I am convinced it is in you also. This this sincere faith was a generational, generational blessing. And guess what? It was something worth catching. Oh, and by the way, just in case you're wondering, um, you notice it didn't mention Timothy's daddy. Well, we know two things. One we know and one we're almost positive about. Number one is because of the name, okay, we are certain that, that his daddy was a Greek. It was a racial, biracial marriage, if you will. Okay, so, so his daddy was Greek. And most likely, his daddy was lost, not a believer. But young Timothy, mm, this is fixing to be good. Young Timothy still grew up and caught Lois's faith, grandma's faith, mama's faith, and passed on to him. How did that happen? 
Because there were two women in Timothy's life who said, our faith is going to be stronger than the father's lack of faith. And that's, mom and dad, that's what needs to happen in our lives. Listen, listen, listen. Your faith can overcome this junk in the world. Live your faith. Live your faith. And make it so contagious, your children can avoid catching it. Let's look at our, let's look at our teaching point. Your faith, and by the way, we all have faith. It's just a matter of what kind of faith we have. Okay? Your faith, and we all have faith, is contagious. They will catch what you've got. Chances are your children are going to catch yours. Think about that. What kind of faith do you want to pass on to your kids? You know, it's been said that a daughter will marry their, marry their father. And that simply means this, that often the daughter, if he, especially if she has a good father, you know, the daughter will seek a man who reminds her of her father. Well, it's true with faith. Your children will probably catch your faith and then try to live your faith. What kind of faith do you have? Is it a faith worth catching? Is it a faith worth living? You don't know the power of what I'm saying. We live in a world where often Jesus followers are struggling with this. Because, again, what I spoke about earlier, you know, we all, we all want our kids. We want what's best for our kids. And often what seems best is what everybody else is doing. But let me just tell you a little secret. If you do what everything else is, everybody else is doing, you're going to end up in a mess. You have got to follow Jesus. You, listen, in this world, you have got to. And notice I didn't say church. Church is so important. You've got to follow Jesus. It's just what we need. So here's one final thought. I'm going to try to put a bow on this whole thing today. Jesus was speaking again. Um, not quite as close to the cross. But he says in Mark 8, 36, 37. If you're, if you're sitting there saying, you know, the main thing, the main thing for my child is to become a sports star, to become a millionaire, to become president of this or president of that. The one thing that matters is that in case that's where you are. Listen to the words of Jesus. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and lose his life? What if, what if young Joe or John or Susie catches a weak faith from you and they get out in the world and they walk away from God and in the end they don't even know God? What does it benefit a person if he dies a millionaire and spends eternity in hell? What does, it, what does it benefit a man if he has all the titles but no faith? What can anyone give in exchange for his life? What's it worth? What's it worth? You can have to ask that question as a parent. Because these kids are counting on you to guide them and direct them. I've got my job. Brent's got his job. The church has their job. But they're counting on you to guide them. What are you going to teach your kid to you in exchange for their lives? It's so important. 
we let them know clearly that our number one priority is Jesus. Is Jesus. His name was William Morton. One story says that his dad was independently wealthy because of the silver mines in Colorado. And one story said that, um, and this should be easy to find out. And one story said he was heir to the Borden Dairy fortune. Maybe both. Maybe daddy got a lot of silver and bought a lot of cows. I don't know. I just know the story is true. Well, William Borden, first his mom converted to Christianity. And when he was in his early middle teens, right in there, um, he received Christ as Savior. And, and the bottom line is, William Borden was all in. He was a millionaire, and think, keep in mind, this is like 1899. So a million bucks back then was a lot of bucks. And so, and so he, he, he makes his commitment to Christ. Even though he had everything, Jesus was number one. And so... He made that commitment to Christ, and he wrote this in the back of his Bible. No reserves. In other words, William Borden said, I'm not holding anything back. I'm all in with Jesus. I'm all in with Jesus. Well, he graduated from high school and finally ended up at Yale. And he was kind of disappointed um, at Yale because um, the, the administration was so, you know, back then Yale was considered a religious college and they were just so weak in their faith and, and weak in, in what mattered. And, and, you know, and William Borden couldn't understand that. So he was having breakfast one day with a friend of his and they decided to start having prayer meetings. Well, at first there were two and then there were four and then there were six. And by the end of the first semester, there were about 60. But what is amazing is that by the end time of his senior year, there were 1,300 students at Yale. Over 1,000 of them were attending prayer meetings. The influence of a man, a young man. He was 20 years old, 21 at this time, he, he took his own fortune, part of his own fortune, and, and opened up a homeless shelter. I remember reading the story, and it said a traveler from England was talking about what he remembered about William Borden. And he said, I remember the time I went to that soup kitchen. And I saw this young millionaire with his arm around the shoulders of a bum praying for him. What a legacy. Well, his father said, William, you continue down this path and you'll never work for this company. By this time, William Borden had already determined he was going to be a missionary. So that didn't bother him too much. But he wrote in that same Bible, in that back page, under the words, no reserves, he wrote, no retreats. Even if it cost him his fortune. There's no retreat. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Well, finally, after he graduated from Yale, it was time to begin his missionary journey. And he wanted to learn Arabic. And he was going to China and minister to the Muslims there. And so he went to Egypt and spent a few 
as it turned out, a few weeks. Because about a month or so after he arrived there, he contracted spinal meningitis. In just three weeks, William Borden was dead at the age of 25. Wasted life! What could he have done? Nothing greater than what he did. They found his Bible, and they saw the words, no reserves, and they saw the word, no retreats, and written shortly before his death was the word, no regrets. No regrets. Could this not be our mantra? Could we not, as parents, commit today to raising our children with with no reserves and no retreats and no regrets? Isn't it really that's what we want? Don't we want to raise our children so that when it comes to the end of their lives, they say, look, I was all in, and I decided to Jesus, and I would never turn back, and I died, yes, but I have no regrets. I buried my brother last Monday. He was a really good man. But he had some weak spots as far as his parenting skills. And there was a, not a really good relationship between the son. But I know this. My brother had so very few regrets. Because he was a Jesus man. He was all in. And by the way, see, being a Jesus man, being all in doesn't mean you're perfect. It just means you're forgiven. It just means you're forgiven. So parents... Yeah, I guess this was for you. This is for us. This is for the pastor and for the youth pastor and for all of us who mentor these children. I almost called y'all children. These students, these youth. It's for every mom and dad who are struggling. You want to do what's best for your child. And when you see a parent over here, your peers, and they see me doing so much more for their kids, you feel like you have to do what they're doing. No, you need to do what Jesus is doing. Get this book out and figure out what it says about being a mama and daddy and just do it. Just do it. Dwayne, is that important? Yeah. Yeah, it is because if not, you may end up with a life of regrets. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come. That you and your children and your grandchildren can have abundant life. Would you pray with me? Today the altar is open. Brent will be standing down front. And if y'all want to come and pray, that would be great. Feel free to do that. Uh, This is a decision time. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, I talked a little bit about that today. You know, Brent would love to tell you about Jesus. We had a young lady last week come forward and put her faith and trust in Jesus. And we would love to have you do that today. That's why we do what we do. And parents, I want you to know something. You're not by yourselves. If, we need to stand with you. We need to stand with you. Don't criticize you. We need to stand with you in this thing called parenting. So, Father, I want to thank you for the privilege of sharing today. Um, Father, thank for the service. Thank for the young people and their part in it. I want to pray, Lord Jesus, that you'd be honored and glorified. 
And we just tell you right now, God, we acknowledge we need your help. We need your help. As parents and grandparents and mentors, as Christ followers, we know we can't do it without you. So this is your time. And Jesus, I pray in your precious name. Amen.